Life is overwhelming. In the midst of our modern chaos, all the technology, all the demands, all the bills, the kids, the job, the marriage, it's easy to forget that our Bible is full of stories of people who found themselves overwhelmed too. From Hannah, the mother of Samuel, to Mary, the mother of Jesus. From Nehemiah, a builder, to Jesus, a carpenter, they all knew what it was like at times to carry an overwhelming sense of smallness. Though each circumstance was different, each reaction was the same. Some of the greatest prayers ever prayed. Well, good morning. Hello. We got, we got some of our Saturday night people here on Sunday morning. All right. I hope you're doing well. I hope your week has been good. I hope you're ready for Wednesday. It's coming, right? The, uh, the backpacks tell the story. The river of kids going out to, the, uh, to their respective places tells the story. That school is back, and we're getting back into a groove here. So I hope that's good. We're, you're back from vacation, I can see, because we are filled up from front to back. So that's good. If you need notes, if you need a Bible, raise your hand, and our ushers would love to get those to you. And we are continuing our, uh, our series today. Uh, if you've been with us, then you know where we've been going. If you, if you haven't been with us, then let me catch you up to speed real briefly. Uh, we're in a series called Overwhelmed. And in this series, we've been looking at various people in the Bible who, in so many ways, they're, they're very much like we are. Uh, and though they are removed from our, our time period, and though they're removed from our culture, uh, they're people that we can relate to nonetheless. Because these are people who faced real-life challenges, just like you do, just like I do. They experienced real emotions, just like we do. And they prayed some pretty gut-level prayers, just like many of you have. You know what I mean by a gut-level prayer? It's those prayers that you almost don't even have words attached to it. You're groaning. You're going to the Lord. You're saying, God, I don't know what to do. And you're crying out to Him. It's that, word, it's the, that prayer of Je- Jehoshaphat. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, God. That's all I know what to say right now. Gut-level prayers from these people. That that word overwhelmed, uh, it's it's defined as this. Here's some adjectives to attach to the word. Buried. Drowned. Beneath a huge mass. Swamped. Submerged. Engulfed. I mean, those are desperate words, aren't they? That's what we mean when, when we say overwhelmed. Can you relate to those words? Maybe you've used those words. I'm hoping that you've used those words maybe only in the sense of that's how you feel, not necessarily that's how you are. Maybe you say, I'm buried with, with paperwork or I'm, I'm, I'm engulfed in the details of my life right now. I'm swamped. We use those words to describe our lives. And maybe those terms are like a glossary of, of, of terms for you as you, uh, as you uh, describe kind of the present season of your life. But overwhelmed, that's the series. And by the way, overwhelmed, it doesn't have to just relate to the hardships in life. I know many of you in this room, the bottom has dropped out and you are overwhelmed because of desperate situations. But you can also be overwhelmed in the midst of joys. Have you been there before? Because often those joys, those big things that are so exciting and so blessed, they are accompanied by what? Fears and unknowns. Maybe you got married this last year. And you're thinking, man, 
this is going to be like the pinnacle of my life. I'm marrying the one that I love. And yet with that is what? The weight of responsibility as a man. I got to provide for this woman. As a, as, as a woman, I got, I got to submit to this man, whatever it may look like. But it's the weight of responsibility. Uh, maybe maybe it's, it's, it's a new job and you're, thinking, you're looking out on this, pre- you're at this precipice and you're looking out over all that is ahead of you. All the weight of responsibility that is going to be on your shoulder, you're overwhelmed by all that. Maybe it's a new baby. Maybe you just adopted a child. I can still remember driving home from the hospital when Corey and I had our oldest son, Brandon, 16 plus years ago now. But we were up in Sacramento. We were at a, up at Sutter hospital and we were driving home and the sun had already gone down and the reason i remember that is because i could see like the street lights shining off of his little face the moonlight shining off his little face and i remember looking back and thinking we have an alien in our back seat it, he, he sounds like et in the cornfields if you see, if you've seen et like he is screaming this is a new sound i'm not used to it what's going on i'm overwhelmed Corey, we have to feed that thing we have to we have to keep it alive We are now responsible, the weight of responsibility, even in the midst of joy. Well, thankfully, regardless of what you're looking at when you you hear that word overwhelmed, there's a huge difference between being overwhelmed, literally being overwhelmed like we've defined the term, and feeling overwhelmed. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he touched on this area, uh, this idea in in 2 Corinthians 4 when he said this, you might be hard-pressed, on every side, but you won't be crushed. He said, you might be perplexed, but you will not be in despair. He said, you might be persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Meaning, it's going to be hard, but you're going to be okay. The Lord is going to carry you through. He's going to be faithful to you. He's going to give you what you need when you think you're in the most desperate situation imaginable and you're not going to make it out. God is going to be faithful to care for you. And so no one who has placed their faith in Jesus will be overwhelmed in the ways that we have just defined it. No, Paul says in another place, no, in all these things we are more than what? Conquerors. You're more than a conqueror through Christ who loved us. And is decidedly for us. And if he is for us, then who can be against us? He's going to give you strength. And he's going to hold you up. And he's going to carry you through. And then he's going to graciously remind you that your life is in his hands. And there's a bigger picture to keep in mind. You're just saying about that, right? You are bigger than all my hopes, my fears, whatever may come my way. Still my heart will say, I trust you. Today we're going to look at the life of Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus. And most of you know her story, at least the main parts. But I want you for a moment to, to kind of get inside of her skin and feel what it would be like to, to have heard the things that you heard and to be faced with the situation that she faced. Can you imagine the, 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 the flood of overwhelming feelings that came upon Mary when she, still just a teenage girl who wasn't even yet married... When she was told that she was going to give birth to the Son of God, the Savior of the world, what a weight to bear. What an overwhelming sense of her new reality. And so we want to put ourselves in her, in her proverbial uh, sandals, as it were. And I want us to try to imagine what it would be like to encounter what she encountered. To be faced with the news that she was about to hear. And then to try to relate that situation to whatever you're facing today. 
Because believe it or not, Mary is an empathetic soul to wherever you are right now. We're not going through Mary. We're going through Jesus. But she is still an empathetic soul. And we can relate to her life when it comes to overwhelming things. And so let's get to the story. We're in Luke chapter 1. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you have a device, you can swipe there. It's also going to be up here on the screen. But one thing that's important for us to understand uh, going into chapter 1 of Luke is that Luke's story comes out of a long period of silence. It comes out of a long period of silence. God had not spoken to His people in over 400 years. There was no word from the prophets. There was no angelic visitation. There was no intervention from God for centuries up until this point. And can you imagine... You're still a Jew. You're still going through the routine. You're still offering the sacrifices, but God has not spoken. He's quiet. He's silent. And so life had settled into something pretty common and pretty routine until we arrive at Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, there's a story before we get to this story. It's the story of the angel Gabriel who appears out of nowhere. And he breaks this long period of silence and he comes to an old man named Zechariah. And he announces to him that he and his wife, who's also old, they're going to have a child. Now, now this couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were childless. They were unable to conceive all these years. And so Zechariah, he doubts it. He doubts the news that he's being faced with from this angel, no less. And yet he still doubts But God works anyway, and He allows Elizabeth to conceive. And this baby that would start growing in Elizabeth, his name would be called John. John, who in time would grow up to be famously known as John the Baptist, the forerunner for the Messiah, the one who would pave the way and start preparing the people for the coming of Jesus. That's Elizabeth. Well, now we come to Mary. And so we read in the story here. We're going to start in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And I just want to read this story over you. It's, it's, it's familiar, but maybe some of the details have gotten forgotten. Gotten forgotten. Verse 26. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, little baby John the Baptist is six months in the womb. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married in to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to Mary and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled at his words, and she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. That word wondered, she's, she's adding it up. She's weighing it out. She's thoughtfully thinking it through. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, because you have found favor with God. And if you have found favor with God, then he is for you, which means you're going to be okay no matter what I have to tell you right now. So take a deep breath and listen to what I have to say to you. You, Mary, are going to conceive and you're going to give birth to a son and you're going to call him Jesus. And he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father's David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever his kingdom will never end can you imagine hearing those words that that's who your boy was going to be 
And Gabriel is speaking a word of God into her life saying, you're going to bear a boy, bear a son, bear a baby. His name's going to be Jesus, and he's going to be the Savior of the world. He's the one that your people have been waiting around for for a long time now. The moment is finally coming, and it's coming through you, Mary. Can you imagine the swirl of thoughts going on in her head? She says in verse 34, How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm still a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit is going to come on you, and the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Mary, your womb is going to be like a holy of holies to this little holy baby. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. In other words, nothing is impossible with God. With Elizabeth, it was highly improbable. With Mary, in her mind, it was impossible. I'm a virgin. It's impossible. And so these two stories are now converging. And look what Mary says. She says, I am the Lord's what? Servant, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Can you imagine what that would be like? Let me stop here for just a couple minutes before we continue on. Up until this point, of course, all outside indicators would point to the fact that Mary's life would not be extraordinary. She would spend her days living in in a small, unknown town, she would marry humbly. She would give birth to some kids. She would never travel further than a few miles from home. And then one day she would die like thousands of others before her. Done. And from a human vantage point, she was simply destined for ordinary. And she'd be in great company if she were here with us today, right? Bunch of, who's ordinary? A bunch of us in this room were ordinary. I can relate, right? But what's amazing is, aren't those the kind of people that God so often works into his plan? God is looking for ordinary people whose hearts are set on honoring him. And so while we, on planet earth, as the human race, we may try to partner with the brightest and the most powerful people we can find, God is simply looking for people who will humbly take him at his word. And he's also looking for people who are confident enough to think that with him in the equation, anything is possible. Humbly taking him as his word and believing with high confidence in him that with him in the equation, anything is possible. And by the way, that is exactly what Mary was. She was humble before God and she was confident in his strength. She fit God's bill perfectly and that's why she cho- he chose her. And her response, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, though she is re- resolved in that statement, that doesn't mean that she, doesn't, she, she wasn't overwhelmed. In fact, she was. You can put yourself in her shoes and you can imagine what you would be going through. But even in the midst of that overwhelming situation, it just means that she, though overwhelmed, she still had a high view of God to carry her through all things. She had a high view of God to carry her through all things. Yet even still, I can imagine all the thoughts and the questions and the concerns that are are swirling around in her mind. Can you imagine the conversation that she's having in her head? Maybe initially is, oh my goodness, what an incredible gift. 
What an incredible honor and privilege. I cannot believe this is happening to me. What just happened? And why am I here hearing this in such a personal way? But wait, you know, what's Joseph going to say? How's he going to respond to this? We're not married. What's he going to think about this pregnancy? How am I going to explain this pregnancy? We're not married yet. How is this going to look from, from the outside? What are people going to think about me? How am I going to be treated? Will people view this as a scarlet letter within the community? Is the village that I continue to live in going to be a village where I have to live in complete shame because of what they're thinking about me? Not because of what is true, but because of what they're thinking. And yet, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, God knew that Mary would need an empathetic soul after being confronted with with her new assignment and how gracious of him to provide someone like Elizabeth. Someone that could rejoice over this incredible news. Someone who could understand what she was going through because she had an encounter with the supernatural as well. Someone that could come alongside her for support. Someone who could even be a part of her family. The Bible says that, that Elizabeth was Mary's relative. Where do you go when life gets overwhelming? For most of us, we go home. We go home to the people who know us best and love us regardless. And Mary, in a sense, she's going to a place that's like home because she's going to Elizabeth. And she's going to someone who she knows is going to be able to empathize and celebrate this moment with her. And so we pick up the story in verse 39. And so at the time, Mary got ready. She got ready. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. She was coming from Nazareth. And she hurried some 80 miles south to the hill country of Judea. I don't know if she borrowed the same donkey that she used later on when Jesus was born, but she somehow made her way down and she hurried to Elizabeth's house where she entered Zachariah's home and she greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, what, leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit in that moment. And in a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, blessed are you, Mary, among women and blessed is the child you will bear But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to this house, should be right here at this doorway greeting me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, Mary, this baby in my womb, it leaped for joy. It's almost as if little baby John the Baptist knew his office as prophet in that womb. There's the one. He's the one, Lamb of God. I don't know. Maybe I'm just taking that too far. But there was something that happened in a very supernatural way since where John the Baptist leaps for joy over this greeting, knowing that Jesus has been conceived right there. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill her promises to her. And that brings us to, to Mary's prayer. One of the things that you're going to notice from this prayer as we go through it that is, that is this. Mary is responding to her overwhelming circumstances with thankful praise. You can fill that in your notes. She's responding to overwhelming circumstances with thankful praise. And you're going to see this as we go through this verse. We're going to take it one little section at a time. We're going to see four things about our prayer. Four observations that I'm going to make here. Four things that I want to highlight. And number one is that her prayer was deep. Her prayer was deep. 
Maybe not so much deep like uh, astrophysics. You know, when people talk about these, these lofty kind of things, mathematics, all that kind of stuff, you're, it's just like it's over my head. I can't comprehend all the zeros and ones that are going on in your head and throughout your lips. We're not talking that kind of deep. We're talking maybe deep like the ocean. Have you stopped to think about how deep the ocean is? I had to Google it uh, this morning. The ocean is like seven miles deep at its deep, deepest point. Do you understand that there is a world of God's creation seven miles down below that we cannot, we cannot perceive with our own eyes and mind yet alone? Things that are going on right now in the world that are just completely out of sight. They are deep. There are things that are going on deep within the earth. And when we talk about deep, we're talking about the places of the soul and spirit. Uh, Mary says, as she opens up her prayer, she says, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Deep. Deep because the situation that, we, that she now found herself in was extremely weighty. And yet at the very same time, she was overwhelmed with praise for all that God was going to do in her life. All that he had already done and all that he was going to continue to do. Deep. The deep places of the soul. It's one of those, oh no, it just got real kind of moments. Have you ever had those moments where it's like, oh, wow, the news I just received is going to change everything in my life right now. The deep is crying out to the deep in her own soul. Her life has been interrupted by one of God's angels, no less, less, and it was suddenly getting complicated and involved, and yet it was also profoundly good. The things that she was taking in, profoundly good, mind-blowingly good. She was overwhelmed by the blessing of God over her life and the incredible gift to the world that was literally inside of her. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Down deeper than just, just the words of her mouth was the genuine expression of her soul and spirit. And those terms, soul and spirit, they're really interchangeable in Scripture. And they have to do with the inner person, the deep parts of who we are. I mean, where is the soul? Where does it exist? Can you see it on an x-ray? Does it show up? Not in the same way that the human brain and the human heart show up. The soul, the spirit, where is it? That is a supernatural dimension of who you are, of your DNA as God has created you in his image. And we have to condition that soul. We have to take care of that soul. And so the uh, subpoint there is thankful praise is a conditioned response of the soul. It's a conditioned response of the soul. Our souls are something that we need to feed well. Our souls are something that we need to take good care of. And so it's that process of, of faithful, diligent submission to God's word in order to arrive to this place of, of thankful praise in all circumstances. In other words, we have to condition ourselves with, with the things of God in order to arrive at a place of gratitude, especially when life is hard. Which is one of the reasons why Jesus said, hey, you remain in me and let my words remain in you. There has to be a mutual exchange. You need to be drawing from the ultimate life source, which is me, says Christ. You've got to condition your soul. You've got to put your soul in places where it's going to be fed and encouraged and nurtured with the things of God, which is why you're here today, whether you realize that or not, this is called soul feeding. You need something to feed your soul and to remind yourself of the God who created you and what he's doing in your life and how he's going to carry you through. 
And so I get this sense that Mary has a good amount of soul care already within her as a young girl. She's got a good amount of substance holding her together even from an early age because we can see it in her matured response throughout the story. And then when she prays, do you realize this? But she's basically reciting scripture. That whole prayer is her just spouting out the words of God. She's reciting scripture with this song. And she's so steeped in scripture that when she breaks out and prays, the words that come naturally to her lips are the words of God's word. They're the words of scripture. Now, it's one thing to be encouraged by the old sages of the faith, right? The ones who have, you know, long obedience in the same direction. They are old, they are godly, they are wise, and we glean from them. And we're encouraged because of their relationship that they have with Christ, with God. But can you imagine, on the other side of the spectrum, this is a 14, 15-year-old girl. And she is spouting out the words of God, the words of Scripture through this prayer, through this song. There's something so refreshing when I can see young generations praising the Lord. And you see something in them that maybe you don't see in yourself and you're thinking, I want that. I want that kind of passion. And for her to have that kind of passion at this kind of an age is an incredible encouragement to us. So Mary, her her situation, it was intense. God's word was indwelling. Mary's emotions were deep and her prayer reflected all these things. Her prayer was deep. Number two, her prayer was worshipful. Her prayer was worshipful. You can fill that out in your notes. We're going to go to the same verse, continuing the prayer. Same verse, just a different emphasis on a different word. My soul, it glorifies, and my, the Lord, my God, uh, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit, it rejoices in God, my Savior. And Mary, she's not just praising God in some routine, mechanical fashion, but with this, this swelling and this magnifying, enlarging attitude of the heart. Mary's heart is turned toward God and toward the things of God. And so in your notes there, thankful praise reflects one whose heart is turned toward God. It reflects one whose heart is turned toward God. That word glorifies. When she says, my soul, it glorifies Another translation uses the word magnifies. In fact, maybe you know this song based on an older translation when she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. This is Mary's song. This is the Magnificat, right? And her her song has gone down in history. It has been prayed and sung through the ages. But that word magnified, to magnify God, it doesn't mean that you make him any bigger than he already is. It just means that you're getting an enlarged picture of him. You're getting an enlarged picture of God. You bring Him into closer visibility. And now you see Him as the incredibly massive God that He is. When you put a magnifying glass on something, you see the details of what's below, of what's underneath. And with God, when we magnify Him, we are looking close into the details of His character. We're looking close and we're seeing all the wonders of what He has done, what He is doing, what He will do. And then you see his character woven through all that. Magnify the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. Well, how does a soul magnify God? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. How does a soul, a soul that I can't see anywhere in the body, I don't know where it is, but how does it magnify God? A mouth 
can magnify God by, by saying something about him, right? God is magnificent. He's glorious. He's powerful. He's holy. That's what the mouth does to glorify God. It speaks his praises. But how does a soul magnify God? I mean, no one can hear the soul. And I think what's happening here is that at this very moment, her soul is feeling something deep. It's feeling the greatness and the holiness and the mercy of God. And that feeling is primarily one of joy. She says, my spirit rejoices in God. And so in the midst of our overwhelming situation, we need to see God as much bigger than our problems. Can you ask God, God, would you help me to see you as much bigger than my problems? Because here's the thing. The bigger your picture of God is, the smaller your problems. And the smaller the picture of God is, the bigger your problems. And so we need to see God as a great God, as a big God, as a magnified and glorified God so that you can understand that in the midst of whatever you deal with today, whatever weights you bear and carry, whatever overwhelming situation you find yourself in, He is bigger and He's over it all and His character is one of love and grace and compassion. He will be faithful. If you can see God as bigger, then your response is going to be one of worship. Number three, her prayer was humble. It was humble. Verse 48, it says, He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She continues the prayer. She realizes her place before God. He's been mindful of the humble state of his, of his servant. And so thankful praise, it comes from one who understands their proper place before God and embraces him, his plan. It comes from one who understands their proper place before God and then embraces his plan. Being content with God's good and gracious plan for me over what I think is good for me. Right? Isn't that what we do? When things get hard and we're overwhelmed, we sort of start scrambling to take matters into our own hands, and it's almost like we're running this treadmill on high speed, and we're not getting anywhere because we're going to the wrong source. He's saying, no, you come to me. You humble yourself before me and my authority. Embrace my plan and trust my ways. And so the only, the only people whose soul can truly magnify the Lord are people who are like Mary. People who acknowledge their humble state and are overwhelmed by how small they are standing before Almighty God. Now as a side note, I, I think it's important that we can recognize that, that this prayer, this prayer of Mary is one that elevates God, not Mary. She is a recipient of God's grace and favor right alongside of us. Right? She's not a dispenser of blessing, but she's a recipient of it. In fact, remember when she said, my spirit rejoices in God, my what? My Savior. Even by using the word, she is recognizing that she is a sinner by her own admission. And so we need to remember that. This prayer, it elevates God. It doesn't elevate Mary. And Mary would have it no other way. That's the way she wants it. Because she is about his ways and his person and his character. She's not trying to elevate herself. She's trying to elevate her God. And so we need to keep those things in perspective as well. Continuing in verse 48. He's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will, will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation 
to generation. His mercy extends to generation to generation. And we find ourselves here today. Year 2017 in the school gymnasium here in Apple Valley. His mercy has extended to all generations. And Mary is the conduit through which that blessing and that mercy is extended. Amazing, amazing gift, amazing privilege. But her prayer was humble. And Mary is praising God because of the fact that that, that he saw something in her that she didn't see in herself. Uh, She's an unlikely candidate. And she's humbled by the fact that God sees her fit for such a purpose. And so she embraces his plan with humble joy. Now understand this, though though her life indeed will be eternally blessed, uh, it will also not be without its pain. And Mary knows that. She humbly accepts the the will of God in her life, even though there will be much to bear. And it's not just bearing a child. That is just the beginning, right? If you remember when when Mary and Joseph went to the temple to to dedicate baby Jesus, Simeon, what did he speak over that, that child? He says, this child is going to cause the rise and fall of many nations. This child is also going to draw the hearts of people to salvation. But this child is also going to put a sword through your soul, through your spirit, through your heart. It's not going to be easy, and yet Mary's response is what? I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. So think about the full sweep of her life. I mean, think about what it would be like to grow up in the home of Mary and Joseph, to be a kid in that household. James, why can't you be more like your brother Jesus? I mean, come on. Why can't you be perfect like him? I mean, there had to be dysfunction in this home. These brothers and these sisters, the, 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 the Gospels refer to Jesus as siblings. I mean, what was it like to grow up in the house of Jesus and to have him as your brother? Jesus, you're weird. You're perfect. What is going on here? Why do you always have to be perfect? I can't match up. And I can't handle maybe sometimes living in this home. But through the whole course of their life, and Mary's in particular, she's taking on the weight. She's bearing a cross of submission and humility. Can you and I, can we come to a place of realizing that God's ways are higher than our ways? I mean, don't just, don't just quote the verse, because I know it's easy for us to just start saying, well, I know his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And that is true, and claim the verse, but don't use it as a spiritual platitude, you know, to have silk screened on your mug as you're drinking your coffee, when your real attitude is, God, what are you doing? <laughs> and you question him, and you doubt him, and you even blame him, and you blame the people around, around you. And yet, when it comes right down to it, have you ever stopped to think that his plan may go far beyond you? Where you're at right now may not be so much about you, but it may be about something down here. And God is looking for a humble submission to him right here in this moment, in this storm that you face, so that he can condition your heart and your soul and bring you to a place of thankful praise and use your testimony in the midst of it to speak loudly to the world around you. And so her prayer was was humble. And then lastly, her prayer was resolved. Her prayer was resolved. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. We've already reiterated that a number of times. But thankful praise comes when we can rest in the promises of God. You can write that in your notes. 
Thankful praise comes when we can rest in the promises of God. Uh, notice all the he, he has statements. You see a whole string of he has statements. She is claiming the promises of God. In verse 51, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel. He's helped his people. He's remembered to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised. She's resting in the plan and in the promise of God. Just as he promised. Did you know that there are hundreds, literally hundreds of promises in God's word that we can claim today? And in this song here, we don't have time to parse it all out, but but here, you know, Mary is referencing a bunch of those promises. And she's recognizing the fact that God is carrying out his great plan of making all things new. And she says the proud and the arrogant are going to be brought low. The humble are going to be lifted up. Things are going to be made right in the world. God's salvation is going to go out to the ends of the earth. And his mercy will surely extend from generation to generation. And you find yourself here once again. May we be people whose prayers are resolved because we are claiming the promise and the character of God. And so here's the challenge as we, as we wrap up here. Number one, recognize that God may be doing something bigger. Recognize that God may be doing something bigger. I've already referenced it today, and so we'll move quickly through this. But would you call on the Lord and even allow the Holy Spirit to show you what could ultimately be out of what currently is? Now, he may answer that prayer, and maybe he won't. You know, every now and then I, I say, Lord, would you just crack open the door just a little bit? Can I just peek inside to see maybe how, what, what all this is working toward? And sometimes it's like, no, door sealed. You just go to my word and go to the promises and know that I am doing something. You don't need to know the details of what it is. Okay, I'm God. You're not. Submit to me. Or maybe he'll give you a little glimpse. Or maybe that's a gradual peeking in over the course of time because you see how God is weaving even through your relational world and using your situation to affect the situations around you. I love this verse in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. It says, For our light and momentary troubles. And you might be thinking, well, don't patronize me. My troubles are not light. They might be momentary, but it seems like this moment is going on forever. He says, no, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Which means you could take the collection of 300 stories right here and the overwhelming burdens that we, that we experience and you put it into a big pot and you stir it up and you say, this, these are the burdens of this household here. In the eternal weight of glory that is to come, it far outweighs it all. On its own, without that hope, you die under the pressure. But God is working something out, and He's carrying out His plans, and He will be faithful. And so the interpretation is hang in there. Because in time, your present situation is going to be dramatically overshadowed and swallowed up and outweighed by something exceedingly glorious. And so in the meantime, trust God. Hold on. Trust God. And I know. I know it's hard. I know that many of you, because I read so many of your prayer requests, you're sitting here and you're thinking, 
I don't know how I'm going to get through this thing in my life. The weight seems like it's too much to bear. And things are going on in my head right now that I don't even want to entertain because it's not good. I want to encourage you today to hang in there, to be faithful. And though it's hard, we can rest in his promises. We can rest in his, in his character because he's going to be faithful and it will be worth it. Secondly, understand that sometimes the interruption is the assignment. Sometimes the interruption is the assi- assignment. Have you ever stopped to consider this? That what you are presently going through right now, however painful or uncomfortable or confusing or overwhelming or out of your element you may be feeling... Have you ever stopped to consider that maybe that is actually exactly what God wants to use to bring you to a new place of strength, to bring you to a new place of of joy, a new place of blessing, as you learn to make much of Him with your life where you're at? Your interruption may actually be the main thing that God is wanting to use in your life right now. And we tend to maybe respond with, that's an interruption, I'm bitter that it's happening. I'm going to blame the people around me. I'm going to get angry. I'm going to shake my fist at God. How could you? God, can we just get on with the plan? And he's saying, well, no, no, no. That is the plan. That is the plan. And just know that my gracious, merciful, compassionate hand is going to carry you through that. Okay? So can we understand those things? Uh, We have a friend who, who is also a member of our church And she is such an encouraging example of this uh, as we've just been able to hear her her testimony unfold. uh, She was told that she had cancer a number of months ago. She's going through cancer treatments right now. She's losing her hair. And she's going through so much, but despite where she's at, I see nothing but joy coming out of her person. And so she'll come up to me and she'll say, Pastor, Pastor, this cancer has provided me with a whole new group of people to share the Lord with. My oikos is expanding because of it, and that is exciting. Who says that? Unless you have someone whose heart is turned toward the Lord and and sees Him as higher above all things and knows that His ways are not your ways and His thoughts are not your thoughts, and He's doing something beyond what you can see in the present. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. His judgments are unsearchable and his paths, you can't trace them out. And so if this is your plane of understanding and knowledge and insight, his ways are thick up that way and they're thick down this way. And you are somewhere buried in the middle of all of his plans. And you can't navigate it and don't even try. But he's doing something that goes beyond your ability to understand. And so the interpretation of that verse even, there's a whole lot more going on that you don't know about. In the words of Uncle Rico, if you're a Napoleon Dynamite fan, right? There's a whole lot you don't know about. So trust him. And lastly, and we're winding down right here, I promise. Accept God's plan with humble thanks. Accept God's plan with humble thanks. I am the Lord's Servant, may your word to me be fulfilled. And so my encouragement to you today 
is that we would echo those words in our own life. Would those, would those words be the echo and the mantra of our own life? God, in the midst of my situation, whatever it may be for you, I'm overwhelmed, but God, my eyes are on you. I don't know what to do, but I'm your servant, and may your word to me be fulfilled. Do you know that God has a vision for what your life would be if he would only get his way in your life? So submit to him because the best is yet to come if you do. And if you don't, you're missing out on those blessings. So hang in there. Be faithful. Go to him. Let me pray. Father, we come to you today. And we are overwhelmed by your goodness in our lives. We're over, overwhelmed by your provisions over us. And Lord, sometimes it takes the testimony of a lady, a young lady like Mary, for us to be reminded of the fact that your ways are so much higher than our ways. And you are doing things below, deep below the surface that we cannot perceive with our own eyes. And so we thank you, God, that you are at work in our situation. Lord, I just pray over every uh, household represented in this room. Lord, you know what we face today. You know how much we need you, how desperately we, desperately we need you. You know the gut-level prayers that are going out to you uh, from our own situation And so, Lord, we just pray that you would continue to hold us together, continue to show yourself as faithful, and to uh, allow us to be a part of what you're doing here on the earth. God, we love you so much, and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.